starting a series today. For, for several weeks, more than four weeks, we're going to be talking about who are you wearing. And this is um, a series that is focused on young adults and value shaping. And also, uh, obviously, it's exhaustive in terms of what is the Christian life? Because when you're talking about your values moving forward, then, you know, at some point, those values play out as we're full-blown adults going wherever it is we're, we're trying to go. And the question, right, who are you wearing, right, that's the question that gets asked on the red carpet. You know, if you ever watch the Grammys or, you know, you watch the Emmys and you watch, you know, the inter entertainment, whatever, the Hollywood E! channel, and they're asking the question, who are you wearing, who are you wearing? And one of the things that's interesting about that question in that particular context is every time someone on the red carpet asks a celebrity, who are you wearing, they always know. It's not like, I don't know, I just grabbed this thing from, you know, Brooks Brothers. Like, it's, it's like they're wearing someone. It's like they're wearing Armani, or they're wearing that designer, and they say that name. And it's on purpose, right? And whether they picked the dress and the colors and the designer and they worked together, or the designer made something for someone, that designer has a certain pattern and a certain style and a certain expression that they are clothing somebody with. Do you ever think about who you're wearing? Literally. Like, who are you wearing? Like, what clothes? Like, who makes them? And why do they make them? And, and, and why are you wearing them? And what are they for? Um, Sean just shook his head and went, no. I never think about that. And some people don't think about that. But you are wearing someone. Somebody designed what you're wearing. And some of us may think a lot about who we're wearing. You know, like we like certain styles and we like certain expressions. And one of the reasons that I'm wearing what I'm wearing today is because I was thinking about what to wear for a series that's about, you know, this topic. Who are you wearing? And I'm going to get into kind of the analogy and how we're going to let that drive the whole thing. But, you know, you start to go down the road of, so what's cool? What's in vogue? What's, what drip is hitting right now? that everybody thinks is like great. And as I started to think about how I would dress, if I was gonna try to dress cool, that made me slightly nauseous. Because it's just not, I just, I don't care. I don't want to try to dress cool and you know, whatever I, I, I wear, what I wear. So I decided to wear today who and what I actually wear most of the time. And so that's why I'm wearing, this, I am in the, I'm 42, and I am in the athleisure season of my life. I love athleisure, all different kinds. Um, basically, um, unless I'm at the office, I am wearing like a Nike tank top, these types of shorts, shoes. That's what I'm wearing all the time, all day, every day. It's what I wear to the gym. That's what I wear after the gym. I just wear that, especially in the summer. And so these shoes, you're looking at them. I know. <laughs> these are amazing shoes. These, uh, I saw these. I am a total, I'm, I am horrible about Instagram ads. Like if I find something that I'm like, that's really cool. Like I'm like, ugh. And I like, I Apple pay buy it like at three in the morning. I saw these on Instagram. They're an active recovery shoe. These are shoes that are designed to wear like after 
hot, hard and intense workouts and you put them on and they're like designed for old people and for people that are working out to make sure that like, you know, you get enough support and softness in your steps. And so these are my active recovery shoes, but I also say they're, they're, they're kind of like cool Crocs. If I don't say so myself. And, um, genuinely they're the best summer vacation shoe. Nothing is even close because I can take these and only bring these, wear them on the plane, right? They're easy to come off. They have no laces, right? To go through, go through security. And then I can wear these to the beach and get sand all over them. They're rubber. These are rubber. You spray them off, good to go. I can put on socks, wear them to the gym and literally like do a workout, like, you know, really feel it in these shoes. I can run and jog a little bit, one pair of shoes for the whole week. That's amazing. That's like Crocs, but not as ugly as Crocs. And, but but, as, but I, I live in the tension of comfort and utilitarian reality and fashion. I used to only care about what looked cool. I don't anymore. I want it to be very comfortable, and then, and, and then I will fight for it to be look good, look the way I want it to look. The one of the reasons I didn't wear, like, whatever's happening right now, it, uh, you know, like Birkenstocks are back. And that's the main reason is all the stuff that people wear. It was, I already wore it. I'm at the age, and some of us are in here, are like, everything that's cool right now, we wore it in the 90s or the 80s. I wore stained jeans, stained wash jeans. I wore like wide leg, giant boot cut, almost bell bottom jeans. Those are back. You know, like I wore, uh, I went through the grunge phase with super large shirts and, you know, like I had all that. Like I, I did all that. I have pictures, like, you know, I had like a kind of a sharp looking, like black with white, like there's Katie and I in high school. That's my high, that's my senior picture. Look at the sideways, like 1990s grid thing in the back. My jaw was crazy. And then, and then this was when I was in high school. Here's another picture when I was in high school. Um, this was when I went to camp. I dressed up like I was in the 50s. That's me right there. That guy in there. I, that's not a real cigarette. That was young life camp, which in the spectrum of church camp was like the radical liberal camp. So we dressed up like we were in the 50s and I was pretending to smoke because that was cool. But I've worn all that stuff. Like I wore all the stuff you guys wear. The, bill, the hats that you guys wear now, I, ha- I wore them. Like I had the straight bill, you know, I had a Green Bay one. I, all the stuff that was, so I, wore, so I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to wear what, I'm going to wear who I actually wear. And so each week I'm going to kind of bring out a piece of what I wear and try to help it kind of integrate into the, the message that we're doing. But when we think about who we wear, the analogy I want us to go with for this entire series is this, to put someone on, to wear someone's style or someone that means to pattern your life after theirs. So the question that we're asking is, who are you patterning your life after? Who are you modeling your life after? Like, who is it that you're like, they're the one, and what they do is what I'm going to do? All right? You might hear that question and go like, well, I, I place my faith in Jesus. I want you to move that question to the side. Because for us, we have this idea that placing your faith in Jesus has something to do with what you think, mainly what you think. Maybe it's what you believe. Maybe it's emotional. It might be something that you confess and say, 
But then what it has to do with is what God is gonna continually to do for you in your life and in the past. So you're like, I'm just kind of sitting here trusting that God, I have my faith in God and he's just gonna like work it all out and do all that stuff. That's, that's not the right definition or perspective of faith. And so I'm not asking you that question. I'm asking you a question that actually would represent more uh, purely who you're putting your faith in. Who are you trying to emulate with your behaviors? That is who you're putting on. You're putting on whoever you point to and go, I'm gonna act like them. I'm gonna be like them. I remember watching Allen Iverson uh, when he, I think he was accepting his Hall of Fame award because he never won a championship. If you know, if you know AI, like he's an amazing basketball player, played for the 76ers, um, incredible, was probably one of my favorite players. He was a contemporary of Michael Jordan, but his career kind of was taken off when Jordan's was coming down. And he's up there getting this award, and, and he talked about all the different people he liked and loved and who he wanted to emulate. And he's like, I love this guy, and I love this guy. And he named all these popular guys. But then, like, literally with tears in his eyes, he's like, but I wanted to be like Mike. And that wasn't like, I want I to, like, look like Mike. That was like, I want to, like, do what Michael did. He's, he, so he started talking about like the way that I would dribble, the way that I approached the game, my practice. Like he wanted to be and act like Michael. That's who he was putting on. So every day he made decisions about practice. We're talking about practice. Anybody know this reference? AI, that's him. We're talking about practice. He would practice. He wanted to be Mike. He wanted his game to do that. So my question is... Who influences your behaviors the most? Who? Think about it for a second. Who is the person who influences the decisions that you make, the behaviors that you exhibit daily? Who is it? Now, for some of you, you might go like, well, it's my dad. You know, like my dad or my mom. Or maybe it's like a teacher. Or maybe it's a friend. Or maybe it's like a neighbor or whatever. But, but one of the things we're going to get into is how important it is to articulate who you are modeling your life after. You need to kind of think about it. You will choose and act like someone or something. And it's so important for you to know who it is. Who it is. Who you are wearing is more important than where you will go. Let me just tell you that. Who you are modeling your life after is more important than where you go and what you do because who you are modeling your life after will determine where you go and what you do. So you need to step back and it's the who before the what. Who am I trying to be like? How do I make decisions? How do I process information? Are you going to choose the direction and the pattern of your life? Don't you want your life to be patterned after the best possible person you could think of? Don't you want like a person that you know it's like, uh, no matter what, this is going to be the person I can, I can look to because it's a trustworthy uh, set of behaviors and ideas. And here's the reality of putting someone on or modeling behavior after somebody. If you don't choose to put on somebody, 
somebody will be put on you whether you know it or not. Like this idea of modeling our lives, it, it happens whether we do it intentionally or whether it happens kind of indirectly. It's just going to happen. So you as, as a young adult, you, you have to stop right now and, and be thinking about who is influencing how I think. Who is inf- influencing what I do? I want to be intentional about that. And if you don't choose it, it will be placed upon you. It will, like, choose you. There is a, a stream of culture and ideas and people, and you will, like, suddenly, when the crisis comes or whatever it is, you will make decisions, and then you will, in retrospect, if it was a bad one, you might go, why did I do that? Who was I trying to emulate? Where did I get that idea? And so you, you might make a good decision and then you might model it after somebody and then from the rest of your life, you're thinking, well, that's my guy or that's my girl. But then at some point you keep doing what they did and it doesn't work out. So now you're going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, one of the things about having clothes put on you or having a makeover, you've ever seen the, the, the show, like the extreme makeover show where they do the makeup and you see the girl or the guy and you're like, dude, this person needs some love. Like they need like a haircut and they need their hair washed and they could use like a face massage and whatever, like some new clothes. And they have no idea how to like dress for their body type and all that stuff. And they just kind of waltz in and they're like perfect for it. And, and you, you watch them go through the makeover, right? Like they do the clothing thing and that gets all put on. And then they're, they're sitting down and the hairstylist comes in and they're like in the salon and you can smell the salon. Just, oh, this person's going to look beautiful. They do the nails. They do the, the, the makeup. They do a whole new hair thing. They do different earrings or whatever it is. And then you get to see them, how they were and how they are now after the makeover. And you're thinking like, I like that. I, that looks really good. Like that's an improvement. Like someone used their skill to like beautify. There you go. You know how to, you know, do something amazing there. You did it. And, and then have you ever seen a, one of those where they turn the girl around? She sees herself for the first time. And then she's like, And they're like, oh, no, you don't like it. And she, she hates it. I hate my hair like this. I, I saw one where it was the, string, the Extreme Makeover House Edition, right, where they redid the girl's house, and she walked. I mean, it looks sweet to me, but she walked. She, I hate it. Oh, I can't stand that you did that. You picked that color. You picked that. Nothing about it. So here's the reality, that if you don't pick who you're going to put on, something's going to be put on you, and you may not like it down the road. And it may not just be that you don't like it. It may become detrimental. You may have kind of waltzed into something that could be really dangerous for you. Make sure you put on who's best for you. You see, in the world of fashion and style, there's plenty of names, plenty of ideas, plenty of styles, plenty of looks, plenty of drip. You can go lots of different directions. One of the things about style today is it is extremely eclectic, extremely. I mean, the 90s is back, the 2000s is back, the 60s is back. Like, they're all here, and you can do whatever you want. You can wear 
whatever you want. There's plenty of great names. But I promise you that there is one name that you were designed to wear that will work out for you best if you wear it. Jesus made the best possible thing for you to wear, and it's him. Wherever you go, I promise, you want to be wearing Jesus. This is a series for young adults. Why is this a series for young adults? Can I just talk to the young adults in the room? I, I, don't, I don't know what age that is anymore because I feel like I'm a young adult. <laughs> I definitely don't feel like an adult. So I feel young. But if you're a young adult, I don't know what that is. Maybe you're 30 and under. Maybe you're, you're getting ready to go to college. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're 25. I don't know. You're young, married. Call it under 30, in between 12 and 30. I don't know. You're a young adult, right? That, that, that's where it is. Here's, here's why we're doing this series. is in my job as a pastor, and not just when I'm sitting in my office and someone's having crisis, or not when someone's asking for an opinion, or not when I'm trying to give, just give someone wisdom, all that's true, but also just like the people that I mix with maybe at the gym that don't go to the church that are also young adults, and maybe something happens in their life, and then they come and talk to me, and they, they think that maybe I could help them. Here's the problem. I see very, very few young adults with an, with an intentional and meaningful set of values that they decided, that they picked, that they were, you know, intentional about. I see lots of young adults who are kind of caught in the current of culture. Maybe a little bit of like mom and dad stuff is thrown in there. Maybe a little bit of like whatever's hot, you know, on TikTok is in there. And then like, they just kind of go and they just kind of move with the current and they think that like they're separating themselves by being a little bit different than the other person that's also in the current. And then suddenly something happens and they have to make a real decision. And now they're making decisions based upon a set of some types of like value. Like what behavior am I going to do? What decision am I, am I going to make? And they have to back up and go, well, how do I, how do I make that decision? How do I decide what I'm going to do? You know, values is, here, here's what a value is. This is a person's principles or standards of behavior. One's judgment of what is important in life. Many adults don't know what they believe. Many adults don't know what they believe. They really cannot tell you, here's my set of values. Now, this becomes crazy obvious in the premarital reality for young adults, where I take people through an assessment, and I mean, that assessment asks them about conflict, it asks them about communication styles, it asks them about partner and roles, it asks them about sex, it asks them about how to handle finances, it asks them all this stuff, and the couple is about to get married. And they cannot articulate what drives their decision-making process around the majority of the issues that I just listed out. They don't know. They don't know what, what they're going to do. And then they have to, then, if they struggle with conflict, how are we going to have this conversation? Well, many adults have not outlined, like, what are we going to do? 
Like, what's the decision? Who are we following? Who are we wearing? Who are we going to pattern our life after? What's going to drive our behaviors and our decisions, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the reality? Who's going to actually drive it? And here's the thing is they discover what they believe. And my observation is that if you don't intentionally choose a set of values, the values you grew up around you will choose you. Can I tell you today, please decide what you believe and who you're going to wear before a crisis comes. Because what a crisis will do is reveal the actual value system that you're operating by, whether you intentionally picked it or not. And so here's what typically surfaces, and don't let crisis determine your values, because here's what typically surfaces when we have an unintentional set of values A crisis puts pressure on us and we have to make decisions. Here's the grid that most people use and they don't articulate it until the rubber hits the road and they got a problem. It's like, why are you going to do that? But you just got fired. Why are you going to respond that way? What grid is driving your response right now? It's one of three things. The first one is happiness. Everyone everyone would say, I want to be happy. I'm going to be happy. People are telling you all the time that like you should do what makes you happy. I mean, and and man, like being happy is awesome. Now I've talked about happiness before. Being happy all the time is a weird idea. It is actually. Like if you were happy all the time and then your birthday showed up and you're just, it's like no different. It's weird. Just happy all the time. It's just like crying all the time. If something's maybe not weird, sad, something really hurts. But oftentimes when someone's happy all the time, it's just because they're masking what really hurts. So, you know, happiness should never be the ultimate goal for why you make decisions. And here's one of the reasons why. Happiness for you is manageable. It's manageable to a degree. You can make some decisions and get some happiness. You can even learn from God and you can kind of step forward in life and choose something that you love. And, and it's not all mutually exclusive. Like if you choose happiness, you're not choosing God. You can choose God and then it's for some, but then ultimately at the core of you, maybe what's making you make decisions is happiness. Well, here's where this breaks down. If you make a decision that all your decisions are gonna be made through the lens of happiness, What happens when you want to build a meaningful relationship with someone and you have to make a decision that is not happy for you, but is better for them? Happiness breaks down. Can I tell you, that's why, I mean, you may think this doesn't matter. It matters. Most people get a divorce because they're just not happy anymore. Well, now listen, 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 listen. I'm sad that you're not happy because I know what that means is that you're suffering in the marriage and lots of things are going on. And we're not saying that it's not important to make that a goal. Man, we have a good life and be happy. What the problem is, is that you decided that a marriage that when you stand up in front of everybody is built upon way more than just happiness is now going to fall apart because you don't have happiness. So it's like, You decided that now you're not happy, so the marriage is over. You're making your decisions based upon whether or not you're happy. Is there more? Is that a good reason to make a decision? Another one, 
The second one I see is success. So you say, I'm gonna, here's, here's how I'm gonna pattern my life. I'm gonna look after someone who's successful and I'm gonna do what they did because I wanna climb the ladder, I wanna make the money, I wanna win the thing, whatever. Well, this starts to break down too. Because picking what success is, is, is an option for you. It changes. You know, you might have a season in your life where something equals success. You might accomplish it and go, that's not it anymore. Maybe you, you try something and then you get it and then it doesn't make you feel the way you want it to. So you're going, I, I don't want success to be here. Or how about this? How about you think something is successful and then you, uh, you realize later on that it didn't quite happen the way you wanted it to and in the wake of what you thought was success caused all kinds of problems. For example, like if you want to be wealthy, then you can decide you want to climb the corporate ladder and you can be a CEO and you can make a quarter of a million dollars a week. Now, people that are a, a year, people that make a quarter of a million dollars a year generally work 90 hours a week, 80 hours a week. So if you think that that money and that that's success, but you have all these little kids and you have a wife and you have a community that you're never connected to, you could find yourself in a real pickle because you now have had, you picked success and you realize later there's more. What about pleasure? Pleasure is often the barometer that you know, people use to determine what they're gonna do. It feels good. Man, the thing, about, the thing about pleasure is you experience pleasure. And then if it's so right or good or whatever that you just dive all the way into that realm and you exhaust it, you can actually, by making pleasure your God or what you're going to pattern your life for, you can destroy pleasure. You can ruin it. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. In fact, the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians, that God is a pleasure seeker. He actually wants you to experience pleasure. He wants you to, to experience the things he made you to experience. But if you make it all about pleasure, what happens in your life when pain comes in despite your goal? Now your whole system is broken. Pleasure must not be it. These aren't the best goals because these are things that are fleeting, they'll fall away. And here's the, the main thing. You were designed to wear a set of values. You need to decide what you believe about the world and how you're going to spend your life. What's best is that you examine who you wanna wear carefully and start that journey. What you need to wear, in my opinion, is what the creator designed you to wear. And when you wear what the creator designed you to wear, it is a life that gives you a sense of purpose and patterns that lead to what God intended for you as a human from the very beginning. It's the way that he designed it. This pattern gives you purpose. And purpose gives you direction and stamina to keep going regardless of happiness relative success and goodness. You need to understand, I think, if you're a young adult, that Christianity is not something that you simply think. It is not just what you feel in your heart. 
Listen closely. Christianity is a set of heavenly behaviors that you have to decide to pattern your life after. Christianity. A lot of us think of Christianity. We think, well, isn't it, aren't I a Christian if I profess something, if I say that I love God? Hmm. Jesus actually talks about that. That there would be a lot of people that would say, we loved you and we did all this stuff. And he says, I don't even know you. So there's a part of Christianity where it's knowing God, right? You know him and you love him. But to be called a Christian means that you are a little Christ. It means that you act and pattern your life after Jesus. That's when you're a Christian. When, when Jesus is uh, teaching in his most famous sermon or set of sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he is actually in that talk unpacking for all of the Christians there or all the people that want to be part of the kingdom of God what it looks like when human beings exhibit the behaviors and the attributes of heaven. That's what he's saying. He's saying, so here's how Christians are. Here's how people that follow me are. It's not, they think these things. It's, not, it's, it's, there's a craving part. There's a behavior part. He goes and he says, you, and he uses analogies. He says, people that are in the kingdom of God, that love the kingdom of God, they're like salt. That's an analogy that he's using to say that when you go into the world, you make things better. That's behavior. He's saying, you have be he says, you're like light. That's 514. You're the light of the world. He is not saying that you stand and people look at you and you illuminate the room with your smile and your preach, your sermon. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're the light of the world. And who puts the light underneath you know, something? And no, you put it up high for everyone to see. Does anybody know what the next section of, of what he says in that talk is? He says, so... You should work really, really hard and do great things. So many great things that people see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. Christians exhibit the behavior of Jesus. Jesus was not asking the people to follow him so that they could, you know, like, end up somewhere one day. When he says they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your father who is where? You glorify your father who is in heaven. So discipleship is not about what you just think in your head. It's not about what you just believe. And it's not just about where you go when you die. It's about how you're gonna have good works right now because you're a Christian. And when you do those things, people will be like, that person is a part of the journey of bringing heaven to earth and they'll see you while God is in his space and they'll go, that's amazing that God is working through that person, that God is using that person to do what they were designed to do. And we all have the choice. It's our choice to put on Jesus. Now understand, Christianity is, is not about perfection. I'm going to talk about that more. It's not about perfection. It's about purpose. You know, sheep fall into the mud, but only the pigs wallow in it. You can get back up. You can know you messed up. You can fall down, 
And you can get back up because you know you're on purpose, you're going towards your mission. And that's one of the keys of having values, is being occupied with the purpose that Jesus has given you through his life, death, and resurrection. Can I just say it? Put on Jesus. Put him on. Emulate your life after him. Pattern your life after him. Don't just pray to him. Pray to him. Don't just read about him. Read about him. Model him. Go to the resources that we have and look at how he engages the world around him and understand, and this is what I'm going to show you, is that what he does, he has given you the ability to do. So, when we start talking about the Christian life, there's so much to it. And can I tell you, it's awesome. I'm going to talk about this over the series. Having an emotional experience is awesome. Events are awesome. I love events. I love church on Sunday. You guys all just got back from events. You had an event. It's an event. It's an amazing event, right? We love the event. We love it when something big happens. The process of being a Christian is not a single event. It's a series. It's a process. And we don't like the process. We want the event and not the process. If you want to be like Christ, you got to go on a journey. It's your whole life that you're modeling and mirroring him. So we talk about the Christian life and what it means to be a Christian and what the Bible has to say. And it's so massive that we have a class um, that starts tomorrow night. It's called The Beginning. And this is a class that you should take if you kind of are wrestling with the Bible. Now, here's one of the things that, uh, that I've learned about our church. We have kind of like a split right down the middle in terms of who's in the church. You have the millennials and above who grew up in church and um, they don't like it or they don't like what they were taught and it's confusing, and you have a lot of people that are like on the margins, and when they graduate from high school, they're like, I'm done with it because something about it doesn't make sense, or they got abused, or some combination of that. And so what I love for those of you that are in that camp is if you go to the beginning, you will learn that the Bible and the story of God is probably different than what you grew up with, and it will help you. It will fill in some gaps. It will kind of adjust your spine theologically. And then for those of you that don't know anything, like you're younger and you're like, we don't have any problem with the church. We want the church. We want to grow. We want, we want to know God and learn what he's about. And like, we didn't, we didn't, this is for you because this will set a foundation. So go to the beginning. It's tomorrow night. It starts. It's four weeks. It's going to help you understand the Bible and understand faith and just continue to help you on that journey and in that process. I'm going to, I'm going to just give a little outline and a direction for the book of Ephesians because we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians for this entire series. So again, uh, the assumption that I make when you're watching or when you're here is that you're really interested in knowing what the Bible has to say and what the Word of God teaches and how it applies to our lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. So this week, read Ephesians chapter 1. All right? So here's kind of an overview of the book of Ephesians because what Paul does and Paul is the writer of this cyclical letter, which is the book of Ephesus. It's something that he probably had multiple different writers for, and they did tons of different versions of it. And it was designed to be like circulated throughout the region, not just Ephesus. And I've been to Ephesus. And Ephesus was a place at the time where uh, some of the stuff that was there when Paul was there, still there, was so beautiful and so much wealth and 
development was put into it, that it's just, it's lasted all these years, library and certain parts like the bathhouse. It's really incredible. And, uh, but they had a lot of wealth. And so Paul immediately, when he writes the book of Ephesians, he kind of taps into this wealth idea by talking about riches because he's telling the people that the riches that they have um, on earth are nothing compared to the riches that they have in Christ. And so Paul does this letter. And if you don't know who Paul is, it's important to know who Paul is. Paul was a religious leader for the Jews. All right. And, and in a way, he was several things, but he's kind of like a policeman if people would go off the path. And so when the Christian movement started, he was actually commissioned to go and stop the movement by, by the like, Jewish leadership, the high priest. You need to go and stop the Christians. They're taking everybody away from this. They're adding this weird branch offshoot. And, and so the Bible actually reveals that Paul, when he was trying to stop the movement of Christianity in, in Jerusalem, that he actually oversaw the, the killing and the execution of some of the early Christians. That's Paul. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. Well, Paul then has an encounter with Jesus, which is fantastic to read about. And then after he has an encounter, we learn that through the book of Acts and part of another letter that he wrote in the book of Galatians, that he spent years. And this is true. Paul spent years with Jesus after Jesus had ascended, learning theology in the mystery of the kingdom of God, because Paul's task was probably the most complicated task in the last 2,000 years. For the Jews, understanding a man named Jesus who would be a Messiah king with this background of, of the history of the Jewish people, it made sense. A lot of people didn't like it and they weren't expecting it. It didn't look necessarily, but there was a whole history for the Jews to see that Jesus may be the king of the Jews or that he is the Messiah. And once he rose from the dead, for a lot of people, it made a lot of sense. But everything that Jesus was, was not like this totally in a vacuum new thing that showed up. It came in the context of a, a whole history of the Jewish people. They were the people of Moses and the people of David. And, and now you have this, boom, here comes Jesus. And so to talk to them about Jesus, that was one thing. But Paul's task was to take the message of Jesus, who is not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the entire cosmos, including all non-Jews, no matter what color they are, no matter where, where they live, the entire world was supposed to be invited into the family of the God that is Jesus, who is king. Now, now, so Paul, he needed to figure out how to go talk to them. No context, no background, nothing to do with God, no Old Testament. He's got to figure out. So that's what he studies. And what he does in the book of Ephesians is arguably he gives the most comprehensive um, bird's eye view of what Jesus did on earth and how it changes the reality for all humans. That's what the book of Ephesians does. It's like a bird's eye view. It's like if we were, it's like if there was a drone, all right, and it's like above a crowd. And if you've ever seen like, you know, maybe, maybe even like the, 
the London Eye. It's like it goes way up and it can see the whole town of London and you can see the perspective. This is what's going on in the world. Where the book of Ephesians, it shows us what's going on in the world is that Jesus Christ is the King and the Lord of all creation. And that he came from this Jewish movement, but he offers lordship and he offers life and he offers salvation and he offers, you know, authority that is peace-filled and loving and it changes everything and he offers that to anybody. And what Ephesians says is that anyone who's in Christ, and he uses that phrase 36 times in the book of Ephesians, and he uses another analogy that's similar to put on Christ several more times. What Paul is saying is that those people who are wearing Jesus It'd be like if you're looking from a bird's eye view and you know, it's like if you see like a battle and you see all the Christians and then you see the world and like suddenly it all collides. And you're seeing how the movement of God, the kingdom of God, the work of heaven is now been entrusted to and laid upon the people who call Jesus Lord. And so the book of Ephesians is rich in multiple ways. It's telling the people who they are. It's telling the people that Jesus is is God who made himself available. It's telling the people how to live in their households. It's telling people how to overcome the enemy. It's fascinating. But the expression to put on Christ occurs in Galatians. Uh, He says, for many of you were baptized into Christ, you put him on. It's in Romans. And this speaks, speaks of having clothed oneself with a new nature. And in Ephesians, he says he put on uh, Christ and put off our old ways because our old ways are nailed to the cross. In Colossians, he says you need to put on your new nature and and be renewed in your mind. That's in Romans. There's this whole reality that he's kind of dicing through throughout all of them. But when it comes down to it, John Chrysostom in 37 uh, AD, he said this describing putting on Christ as this never to be forsaken of him and his always being seen in us through our holiness, through our gentleness. When you put on Christ, what you're doing is you are emulating him and people are seeing in you a new nature. And that new nature has been offered to anybody who calls himself a Christian to be part now, if we're looking down, of the movement of heaven sweeping across the globe and you're invited and you can put him on and you can wear him and you can be a part of that movement that is bringing the goodness of God to earth. Now you may think, I don't know if I just signed up for bringing the goodness of God to earth. I was just trying to figure out where to go to college. Can I tell you that you need to set your sights higher? You're supposed to go to college. And God cares where you go to college. But he wants you to live on purpose. He wants you to live the way he designed you. And regardless of where you go, who you wear is more important. And if you have him on you, then at college or at tech school or wherever you're going, you are a part of the wave, man. You're a part of it. You're a part of bringing the goodness of God. And that's not just a thing we say. It's a behavioral set of realities that Jesus, when he was asked uh, how to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What God wants through Jesus is for us to take on ourselves 
heavenly behaviors and sweep them across the globe. And every place on earth needs it. Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 3, I just read this passage of us and I'm almost done. Promise. From Paul, one of King Jesus' apostles through God's purpose to the holy ones in Ephesus who are also loyal believers in King Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus, the King, give you grace and peace. Let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every Spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realms. What are the Spirit-inspired blessings in the heavenly realms? What are they? What does it mean that God has blessed you with every Spirit-inspired reality in the heavenly? What does that mean? What it means is that who Jesus is and what Jesus is has now been offered to you. It's been offered to you. You can wear him. You can put him on. You can act like him. And you can be a part of bringing heaven to earth. The idea of spirit-inspired heavenly realm is the king represents his people. King represents his people so that what happens to him happens to them. And what is true of the king is true of the people. So here's the example. Raise your hand if you've heard of the story of David and Goliath. Okay? In that story, David is representing the nation of Israel. He was already anointed to be the king. So what's happening to the king when he goes in and defeats the giant is what's supposed to happen with the whole nation. They're supposed to overcome the enemy. So what's true about David is true about the nation of Israel. What's true about Jesus is true about us. That's what happens. Jesus gave us access through the cross and the resurrection with the giving of the Holy Spirit. He has given us access to the heavenly realm. He, he has given us the clothing of heaven in no uncertain terms. It is a set of behaviors. It is a value system that you say, he is who I wear. What he did, I will do. I will act like him and bring him to earth the way that I live my life. Jesus has offered us everything and he has done it and now you can wear him. Jesus has completely defeated sin. You didn't hear that? Jesus has completely defeated sin so you can put him on. Now listen, when you hear that Jesus has completely defeated sin, what you might be thinking is when I sin, Jesus covers it and forgives it. Or I'm a sinner and the blood of Jesus imputes righteousness upon me. Uh, and though my sins are like scarlet, they're white as snow. So a lot of us have learned that Jesus' gift to us is what wipes away the sin in our life. That's true. But that's not even half of what it means that he defeated sin. Sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. So it's not just that Jesus dies for the stuff, the immoral things that you do. He died so that you can start to do the thing you were created to do. So that sin can't pull you off task. So it's an archer's term, right? To miss the mark. God, cre God created humans. 
He created humans, and the humans were supposed to hit the target, and the target mean, meant to be clothed in the divine nature of God as images, to take love, real love, to take kindness and goodness and beauty and ingenuity and sweep it across the globe. That's the mark. Sin pulls us off of that job. So when we're doing the immoral thing, it's not just that we're doing something wrong. It's that we're not doing what we were created to do. And so now Jesus has defeated sin and you can put him on and you can hit the mark. In Jesus, you can hit the mark. In Jesus, you can do what you were designed to do. That is a set of value systems. You wanna know what to do? You have Jesus, put him on, and he'll, he will give you the answer by the way he answered it, by the way he lived it. This is, this is what it is. Put on Christ. Hit the mark again, man. Live your life with purpose. Oh my goodness, you live your life with purpose, there'll be happiness. It comes and goes, man. Happiness comes and goes. I'm happy at a wedding. I'm sad at a funeral. I'm happy when my kids get good grades. I'm mad when they dis are disrespectful. That's not life. Life is, regardless of all of that, every day I know I can wake up and I can say, I am part of hitting the mark because of what Jesus did for me. His blood not only wipes away my sin, not only puts me in good standing with God, not only reminds me of my value that someone that amazing would pay for me, that he would, he would lay down his life for me. That's a direct commentary on my value because he would pay for that for me. But also that he didn't just do that just to wipe away my sins. He did that so Christians could wipe the kingdom of heaven across the earth and watch it change. Jesus laid down his life so you could pick it up, put it on, and do what he did. You get to spend yourself the way that Jesus did. You get to live every day because he gave you the direction for your life. You know, that's that question, who are you wearing on the red carpet? It changed this year. There's like a new word, a new question. Does anybody know what it is? You know what the new buzz thing is they do? They don't ask who you're wearing anymore. They ask, what story are you telling? Like, oh, that's a nice dress. What story are you telling? You know, it's kind of like, we don't want to be so shallow as to just talk about the aesthetics and the pattern. We want to know, like, what's behind the art? What's, like, happening here? You know what? I like that question. Because you are telling a story with who you wear. What story are you telling? What pattern does your life tell the story of? When people see your life, what do they go, what, what story? This is not just like, what do you say when you're asked? This is how do you live? And wearing Jesus means that daily your life follows the pattern of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You understand? It means that you wake up every day like Jesus did for 30 years, and he brought about the kingdom of God. He brought heaven to earth. And you do it the best way you know how. It doesn't have to be miraculous. You can be consistent. Just be kind. Just be wise. Just be, you can do that every single day. And then you live with this reality, not, not faith. Faith is living every day for God. Hope is knowing what comes later. They're not the same thing. So you know something great is coming and you know that when you lay down your life the way Jesus did, when you invest, when you spend, 
on what God wants you to spend your life on, nothing done in the name of Jesus is ever in vain. So you are planting seeds, you are spreading the word, you are emulating Jesus and living out God, and that will always start now and exist into forever into the kingdom of God. The life, the death, the resurrection, I'm living my life, I lay it down, and God does something amazing with it. This isn't just about accept him and I'll stop. We are not a church that says you just have to accept Jesus. Just accept him. The notion of accepting him is annoying to me. Jesus, welcome in. We accept you. We accept you? We accept you? That's like I'm trying to get through TSA, and they're like, okay, you can go in. We accept you. We accept your passport. It's so much more than accepting him. Get saved? Get saved? You need to get saved. You think that God, all he has for you is that to make sure that no matter what happens here, you end up somewhere? Get saved? So much more than that. He wants disciples, followers, emulators, learners, people who bring about heaven and earth. Ask Jesus into your heart. Never once does the Bible say you should ask Jesus into your heart. Never. So much bigger than that. You know what the Bible tells us? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. For those who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. You call upon Jesus. You call Jesus King. Jesus, you're my king. You're my pattern. You're my guy. I'm going after you. I'm living for you. I want to act like you. I want to listen to you. Success, happiness, pleasure, none of it is compared to you. You will take me to the way. You will show me the life. You are the truth. I want you. That is what it means to be a Christian. Nothing else. The criminal on the cross. Does he accept Jesus? Does he pray to ask Jesus into his heart? No, you know what he does? He says to Jesus, whilst dying on a cross next to the dying Lord of the cosmos, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The criminal calls Jesus king. And what that meant then is that if I could get down from here, my life would look really different. My life would look really different. Think about the criminal on the cross. What got him up there? Something wrong. And he says, you're my king. So this is not about earning your way into heaven. He didn't do anything to get his way into heaven. All he did is say, you're my king. And God offers grace. He wipes away your sins. He gives you the spirit of the living God so that you can now bring it and wear it. So all I have to say, and then I'll stop, is put on Jesus. Put him on. I'm wearing Jesus. Anybody with me? I'm wearing him, man. I'm wearing him. Not perfect, man. Purpose. Wearing him every day. Who you model in your life after? How you making decisions? What's your set of values? We'll start there.
We'll pick up more next week. God, thank you so much for the, the gift of you. Oh, to change our hearts, to change our lives, to change our communities, to bring about life and goodness wherever it is that you send us. Thank you, God. Everything the world needs has been provided and offered to us through you. Everything, all of it, even in the face of certain death, we have an answer because we have Jesus. In the face of oppression, in the face of injustice, in the face of cruelty, in the face of sinful leadership or governments or organizations or family members, no matter what, God, you gave us what to wear and who to follow. Help us not to lose sight of that ever. We love you. Use us continually like you've planned to. We're putting you on, God. Thank you so much for giving yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. We'll be back next week. Go read Ephesians chapter one.